Open your Bible. Can I get the lights here, please? Open your Bible to Proverbs 6. We are on part 6 of our summer on wisdom. Summer of growing in wisdom. And last week I preached to you about how our lives are meant to be Wisdom is to live your life according to seeking communal flourishing. That we must have a form of repentance of the, of the pattern of our culture to be radical individualists. And today I have a very particularly pointed and important application of that point, And that is how we work. That is how we work. I'm going to, in this early portion of my message, I'm going to blitz you with quite a lot of scripture from Proverbs because I want you to feel the weight of how the Bible begins to help us look at the subject of work, which is so pervasive and so important in our lives. This is where many of you will spend a vast bulk of your hours. And how you think about work, do you do so according to biblical wisdom? Do you, are you wise or are you a fool according to the Bible? It's a very tremendously important and relevant subject, and I hope that it will bless you. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to, I'm going to read the three passages, and then I'll blitz to you through later on through a, a series of shorter passages. But Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11, then we'll go to chapter 8, then we'll go to chapter 9. And in the message I'm entitled, Work as Communal Contribution. Chapter 6, verse... Six. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, or boss, or CEO, or vice pre- <laughs> president, right? She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard, lazy dude, right? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Hmm. It's not too hard to understand, is it? Very pointed words. Let's go to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 22. This is wisdom speaking, wisdom personified. And I want you to just see how wisdom characterizes God and His work. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. This is the subject we're talking about. The first of His acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before He had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world... When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits. See all the things that God has done? So that the waters might not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom goes along with work, even the work of God. Let's go to chapter uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. 
Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She's cut them out. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Wisdom works. You notice that? Wisdom accomplishes things. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Okay? Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Let's pray for today's message. There's so much, Lord, uh, we could probably have a whole series on work and and Proverbs, but um, I'm just going to try to do it in one shot. And I pray, Lord, that you would say, and everything that I say, I know I tend to talk a lot, but that people need to hear today. Will your spirit bind it to their hearts? Cause them to remember that all that's important and that we would take wisdom into ourselves and then into our workplaces and to contribute to our city and to be your servants and to cause wisdom to delight as she did when she was with you, when you were, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Part one, three parts. Part one, work is contributing to the community and to the city. Work as contributing to the community and the city. Part two, why is it so hard? He's giving you a little hint about the way we're going to go, all right? Part two, why is it so hard? And part three, wisdom and the redemption of work, okay? And the redemption of work. Let's go part one. Let me, let's go to chapter six. Let me just show you something about this and point out to you something that maybe I think a lot of we modern Americans tend to overlook. Some of you who have grown up in the church you may be familiar with this verse. It's quite famous. When the Bible urges us to look at an ant and not be lazy and go do your work because as you, I mean, you probably all looked at one of those little colonies and you've, you've watched little ants and maybe you found them in your house and you didn't like them. But they are busy and they don't seem to need bosses, do they? And they don't need fear of getting fired to get their things done and they work. But not primarily to, to work hard. I want to point out something else to you. Notice how, what, how, what else it says there. Um, without having any cheese, she prepares, verse, verse 8, she, that is the ant, prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now, most of us are urban folks and we're not used to thinking about this, but there's very much a community aspect there. A harvest was not a soul, it's, it's not an activity you do by yourself. And a harvest is, has sets of times. You don't just put something into the ground and push you know, 30 seconds on a microwave oven and then food pops out of your machine. That's not the way a harvest works. It must be worked. It must be worked at various seasons. And it's hard. Do you have to work it when the sun is beating down or it's raining? And the ground is not very cooperative. And it can be boring. It can be backbreaking. It can be painful. But it, it says, go out and do these things in your harvest. And other things too about, about how this type of work, there's a harvest. There is a time when we all go out and reap together and this food is not just for you. 
This food goes out into the community and it goes to bless. It goes to bless a whole bunch of people. When you think about your work, this is the way I first just want to start. When you think about your work, do you think about what this is do, what this is doing, not just for you, not even just for your, not even just for your family, not even just for your company, right? Not even just for your employer, but what are you actually contributing into the community? What are you actually contributing into the city? And do you understand that maybe it's hard to see sometimes you're, you're beating this ground and, but you're weeding, weeding, weeding. But really what there's going is you're thinking about a harvest that's going to come out and that harvest is going to bless the whole city, going to bless the whole community. This is part and parcel of the way wisdom calls us to think about work. But do most of us think of it that way? Hmm? You think of it that way. Sometimes, especially in a modern capitalistic economy, you do a piece of job that just feels really boring and pointless at times, but do you think about it as a piece of a season, that there will be a season, time later? Just Not just now, but you are contributing a small portion to a team, and then in months and months and maybe even years from now, it'll produce something that is not just a product that makes money. It just gives you a job that helps your company get richer, that just produces prosperity, but really, hopefully, hopefully there's a service or a product that produces genuine beauty, something into the city, into the community. That's your harvest. That's the harvest. You think of it this way. And if you don't think of, if you don't operate in this kind of manner, if you don't think in this kind of manner, let me tell you, you don't know how to work like an ant. You don't know how to work according to wisdom. And I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I suspect that most, maybe all of you, most of you, maybe all of you are guilty. You don't work like this. I often forget this too. Pastors often forget this. Pastors, I know what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to preach the Bible, pray for you, love on you, uh, help shape you and shepherd you. And, but, well, and then there's supposed to be a harvest down the, of, of fruit and of faith and of people becoming holy and a beautiful community is starting to come forth. And our city, and I often think of, it, I, I th- often think of this, but I also often forget that the work we do here the, in ministry that I engage in every day, I don't just do it just for you because you are so-called my customers. That's how some churches actually think. And then those who have more customers, that's a successful pastor, and then his name will be great. But that isn't thinking like an ant. That isn't the proper harvest. The proper harvest is actually there will be a beautiful community. That community will go forth in righteousness and holiness and servanthood. And that will go into the city and the whole city will be blessed by the harvest of that righteousness. That's, that's actually the work that I'm engaged in and that I hope that you feel that you are a part of when we live according to the gospel and we hope that you gain in wisdom. I mean, let me go, jump over to chapter 8. I won't read the, reread the whole thing, but let me just show you this. Go to verse 30, chapter 8, verse 30. This is wisdom. Do you notice that God works? It's a description that God works. And what that means is work is actually supposed to be one, good. Work is good. Two, 
Work is supposed to produce something that's beautiful. And three, if you go down the list of all the things that God has done, work, work blesses others. Do you think God made all the creation and did all these different things It's just because He just felt like it and because it made Him feel good and to show off? I'm creative. I'm almighty. <laughs> I make beautiful things. But He did it not only so that He would be glorified, but that we would be blessed. There would be a whole community of a world that would be blessed. Go to just verse 30. I was beside Him. This is wisdom. I was beside Him, God, and He was like a master workman. And I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always. See, real wisdom rejoices in work that goes forward and that contributes beauty into the world, into the community, into the city. Who is that? Who is the paradigm of that worker? It's God. God is the ultimate work, working. He's the ultimate working man. It's kind of funny to think that God put uh, a helmet on his head and got a lunch pail and over six days did something remarkable. Right? But so when you get up to go to work, many of you you're thinking, I got to make a buck. I hate my job. I hate my boss. Whatever. And there's all kinds of different things that you may not like. Or you have all kinds of odd and selfish agendas about the way you approach work. But the first worker was God. And wisdom delights in the way he did it, which is to contribute to the blessing of others. Let's go to chapter 9. Chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set a table. Wisdom works. It's interesting. Wisdom works. Wisdom is personified as one that does and serves and sets a table and invites people to come and be blessed. Actually, it invites fools to come and be blessed. It invites people that don't, doesn't even know. Wisdom comes and invites people who doesn't even feel like they, they, they don't deserve it. I'm going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later in my message. But, one of the things is we work, the people that we work for, they're very thankless. The people that we do it for, they may be fools, but wisdom provides. Wisdom sets out a table. Think about that. Let me just show you a few others. Chapter 12, go to chapter 12. You get to the later uh, chapters in Proverbs, there's all, there's all these little verses. And... And if you go about them, and when we get to those quiet times, I hope many of you are doing these quiet times, you know, we give you maybe 15 or 16 verses in a day, but if you don't get anything out of 14 verses, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Then be one short little verse, and they may say something very profound. And I want to just hit, hit you with a few of these. Chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Work is good. Work your land. Provide bread for others. It'll end up providing it for you. Verse 12, Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. Do many of you covet the fact that someone else hit it big in some dot-com thing? or won the lottery, and that's kind of what you want? Let me, let me just say a little something for you right now. If you want to get rich quick, apart from doing real work that really contributes into the city, 
you covet the work of evildoers because that is what the Bible considers folly and actually evil doing. You shouldn't just want to be rich. I mean, it's understandable that everybody wants a certain prosperity, but what you should actually want to do with your work is really contribute something. Even if it makes a lot of money or a little money, really contribute something beautiful and good. Verse 14, chapter 12, From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Will blessing come out of your hand and will blessing come back to you? You realize this. Many of you will think about this only in a wholly individualistic fashion. But just think, if 10 or 20 or 100 people were to operate according to blessing and actually want to produce something that produces real blessing in the society. I mean, not that I don't want to give this overpraise, but one of the reasons why Apple Computer is such a special company is because they actually believe their talk. <laughs> Maybe not every single person in their company, but they actually believe that they exist to build things that are insanely great. That was Steve Jobs' thing. Now, he, he was sort of like, you know, the, the cult leader. <laughs> and the cult leader died. And so now maybe Apple will start to become uh, whorish, whorish, uh, just uh, mercenaries, just like all the other companies. They produce products to make money as producing, producing something that is actually great. Now, so I hope just, and that's just one company. <laughs> one company set out the ambition to produce something that was actually beautiful to use. And now they utterly changed the industry and produced blessing into the world. We call it the iPhone, right? And now all these other companies, maybe they produce a phone that's better than the iPhone. I know that's actually debated, but you know, without the iPhone, all the other companies would never have done it in the first place. Because that company said, these phones are terrible. Can't we actually produce something beautiful? Hmm? Think about that. And so a set of people came by and with the work of their hands actually did something. And they may not always even have the best and purest of motives. They may have done it to enrich themselves. They may have done it to uh, glorify themselves. But they actually did it to bless and produce something beautiful. And they came back to bless their hand and bless all of us, actually. Um, chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. Chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, it says, All the ways of a, man, of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Let me just say that again. And then here's the application. Commit your work to the Lord and your, and your plans will be established. Have any of you ever thought, most of you guys know that the Lord weighs your spirit, but have any of you ever applied that to your work? Have any of you ever, ever applied that when you go to work, that the Lord weighs the spirit by which you work. Hmm. Have you ever thought about that? Let's go to one more. Chapter 28. I think this part's really interesting because it says what chapter 12 said, but it says it a little bit differently. Chapter 12, verse 12, uh, verse, um, whoever, uh, actually, uh, no. I'm getting a little bit... Let's just read it out. Chapter 28, verse 18. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. 
Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. There it is. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty, will have plenty of uh, poverty. That's interesting how it said it. He who follows worth, worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings. But whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Hmm, interesting. Whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. God doesn't actually look upon that with favor, does he? I don't imagine God likes the lottery. <laughs> I don't think God likes gambling, actually. Let me just say, I'll just, this is just a freebie. I didn't have this planned in my sermon. People often think of smoking, <laughs> gambling, and drinking as our, kind of like the three vices in, in our society. I think of the, of the three, the worst one is, is gambling, by far. Hmm? Easily. Why? Because it appeals to greed. It appeals to laziness. It appeals to something for nothing. And the Bible does not look upon those things favorably. Let's go to part two of my message. Now I've told you how you approach work and basically I've told you that you stink. Right? We stink. I do too. As a pastor, I confess to you that I I don't approach work like with blessing like the way the aunt the way we're supposed to, unto the communal bless, unto the communal flourishing. Um, part two, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? And I want to offer you two biblical resources to think about this, right? Two things that I want to push. Number one, why is it so hard? And I want to say this to you, and if you don't know this, it'll, it'll trip you up. If you don't know this, you will lack wisdom to how to go into the world. And one of the things I want to tell you, the Bible teaches that the work is cursed. Work is cursed. You know what that means? So, if you go to Genesis, God made everything good. He made this good. He made, it's just, he made all these bugs, blah, 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 good. He made the, he separated the, it was good. He, he put the lights on the stars. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Everything is good. And then, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And then you know what curse God put on Adam? He cursed the work. He cursed work. Why did he put that upon Adam? Because Adam's job was to work the garden, to have dominion over the world, and out of the the work to be like God, to produce blessing and beauty into the community of the world. And that was going to be a beautiful thing and by which Adam would be, have his heart made full and fulfilled as a man. You know what God did? He cursed it. Work will not fulfill you. You know, in this day and age, what I, what I often see is lots of women, they want to go off to work because, and I absolutely think that women should be able to go to college, read, learn, and have all their skills and be able to contribute into the workforce and the economy but now what I see is both men and women are chasing the idolatry work will fulfill me. It won't. It won't. You think you will, I, and I watch this on TV. My wife and I, we watch, uh, we watch So You Think You Can Dance. That's one of our TV shows. So our kids like to watch it too. So these people come on and they can do these crazy things. They're like, well, you know, they, they, they do things with your body. You're like, how can you do that? But you know what they're looking for? They're thinking these things that they can do, it'll fulfill me as a person. This is their work. It won't. And, and when they get booted off the show, you should see, they get crushed. But if you 
think that work, if you place work in the place that it will fulfill me, you know what you're saying that it's going to do? Work will make you whole. Work will make your life complete. You're asking work to be your savior. You're making work an idolatry. It will disappoint you. If, act, if you make it your God, it will crush you. Please do your work. Please do it well. Please fight against the weeds out of the ground. Fight against all the dysfunctionality in your company, at your workforce. When it does well, enjoy the harvest, but it, it can't fulfill you, please. Only God can complete you. Have that wisdom, please. Number one, it's cursed. Uh, and in our society, we're trying in so badly to push back the curse, but it won't happen. Human beings can't achieve this. Right? Let me say a second thing. Why it's so hard. We live in a capitalistic society. And in a capitalistic society, you know what you are taught? You have been taught this. Almost all of you believe this. You practice this. You believe this so well, you practice what I've been thinking. Seek self-interest. Self-interest is good for the republic, for capitalism. There was a movie a number of years ago called Wall Street, and then they made a bad sequel. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the star of the movie was Michael Douglas, and he played a guy named Gordon Gekko who worked on Wall Street. And he stood up and he said, greed, greed is good. Capitalism teaches you, go out, self-interest is good. In a strange kind of way, a certain amount of it, I think, is healthy. Of course you should seek self-interest. You're not just going out there. You have, a, you have kids to feed. You have mortgages to pay. You have, you have school loans to pay back. You have clothes to buy. You have things to do. I mean, we have things, we have self-interest. You want to get ahead in the company. You're, you have skills that lies dormant. You want people to, you want those skills to go out. You want people to be able to recognize those skills. All those things are part of self-interest and they're not bad. But it can't be all that. They can't be all that there is. When you go to work, if all that you have is self-interest, and our society thinks that's what it is. Everybody brings their self-interest. This is the ideology. It comes from a guy named Adam Smith. Adam Smith wrote a famous book called Wealth of Nations. And Wealth of Nations says that somehow this magical things, when everybody comes together with their self-interest, a magical thing that helps happen and it makes the society richer. You know what? That is true. But you know what it also does? If that's all that we do and there's no virtue and there's no character and there's no wisdom, as the Bible would put it, if everybody only shows up with self-interest and this is exactly, and you know what this is like, everybody's out for a number one. People get laid off for no re just because they get cut. The people that serve you and work for you, you're always afraid that they might steal from you or cut corners. How many people at work these days, they're surfing the internet pretending to work, but they're not working. They're either on ESPN or they're looking at porn. <laughs> there are people literally looking at porn using their company's internet broadband to look at porn or I'll only use how about I mean I hope this doesn't convict too many of you look wasting time on their face Facebook hmm? it's not as obviously evil as porn but you're taken away from your company and companies you have people bosses that are worried about this because because self-interest 
Now look, this is rampant in our society. Let me just give you two examples, and I just gave you one particularly. If everybody does this, do you realize it'll destroy, it will be destroyed? Back in 2008, you know the, almost the whole world's economy completely collapsed? You know why that happened? Because we went through this completely stupid period in our economy where everybody felt like what we can happen is I'm going to give a home loan to this person. They don't have to prove to me that they actually make money and can and pay the loan back. But since all the, the banks out there are willing to give this loan out and they'll just sign their name, they'll, make, they'll sign this loan, I'll get a commission, self-interest. Then the bank isn't even going to keep the loan. They're going to sell the loan to somebody else. Then the loans will get securitized and whoever is the one at the end is going to get stuck with the, stuck with the loan. And if this guy defaults on the loan, well, too bad. It's okay. And everybody just trusted that the next person will get stuck with the buck. But in the meantime, I will get my self-interest. I will make my commission. You know what happened when this when enough of this happened? It almost melted down the whole world's economy. It was crazy. It's a particularly crazy, egregious example. The self-interest isn't enough. We need some wisdom. Let me give you a little bit more. Let me give you another example that's a little bit comes a little bit more close to home. If you guys can't think in global economic scales, okay? Um, some of you probably suffered from that that recession that started in 2008. By the way, we're still suffering from it. Some of you guys whose business hasn't quite recovered or having a hard time finding a job because the whole world decided to become liars and full of folly and run by self-interest. You, some of you are still suffering from it, your neighbors and so forth. Okay? But let me give you another example that comes a little closer to home. I have a friend, whenever he goes to a restaurant, they screw up his order. I mean, they really badly mangle his order. He never sends the food back. He never calls the waiter or the waitress and said, hey, this is wrong. You know why? He says, he goes, if you do, they'll spit in your food. <laughs> and he goes, and I go, come on. I'm not definitely going to spit in your food, he said. Mm. <laughs> he got this look on his face. Why? Because he used to work in the food industry. And so, he says, well, it's not maybe absolutely 100% that they'll spit into your food, but the, the likelihood is not low. <laughs> so just think about that the next time you're at a restaurant. What are they there to do? They're there to make money. Are they really there to bless you? That's an interesting thing, isn't it? They're really there to bless you. And this is something that we do all the time. <laughs> something we do all the time. They're not supposed to. What is the actual theoretical job of the waiter or waitress? They serve you good food. And bless your life for that short period of time you're at the restaurant. And if they imagine if every single waiter or waitress were to get were to get the food on time, were to be polite to you, were to actually listen to you, were to give you your refills, and actually care about you as a human being, and care about you as a neighbor. If every single person were where every waiter or waitress did that you would probably want to tip more because you would just be grateful, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just be grateful? 
And when it happens, have any of you ever had that experience when a waiter or waitress actually treated you like a human being and treated you with dignity and blessed your kids? And they didn't just do a job because they're supposed to. And you don't have you have no idea if the hamburger they brought you fell on the floor and they just picked it right back up. <laughs> but they actually wanted to serve you. And it wasn't because they had to, because they wanted to. Has that ever happened to you? I hope that's actually happened to you once or twice. And when it happens to you, you know what it is? It's actually beautiful. That's what wisdom is supposed to be about. And you know, I have this on my mind because it happened to me and my wife on Thursday. (laughs) My wife and I, we took our family. We were in San Francisco for 4th of July holiday. And we decided to go out to dinner and we decided to splurge a little bit. We went to Red Robin. Now you guys know what we do when we splurge, okay? (laughs) We went to Red Robin. Okay? And my wife doesn't, she's shaking her. She's like, no, no, no. (laughs) And Oh, Red Lobster. Red, Red Robin's too cheap. Went to Red Lobster. Oh, you're right, right, right. Red Lobster costs a little more. Right, right. You're right. Like, you guys splurge. You guys are really cheap. <laughs> Red Lobster. Okay, that costs a little bit more, right? Have any of you been there? And um, we, we, we're not rich enough to go to any place much fancier than that. But that 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 cost, this costs some money. And the waiter. He just, at first, just seemed like a really friendly guy. How do you know if the person really wants to serve you? Something has to go wrong. He actually has to go above and beyond. And in the middle of our meal, something went wrong. We ordered lobster. It's not something that my wife and I do every day. My wife ate, bit into her lobster, and it was really salty. And that's a problem for my wife, because she has blood pressure issues, so salt is an issue for her. And so she took a couple more bites and she said, oh, I can't even eat this. I was thinking about my friend. I'm going, spit in the food. I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> I, honestly, that's what I was thinking. I'm just going to eat this. <laughs> I was like, it's not too salty for me. It's a little salty and it's kind of not right, but I'm just going to eat it. So I ate mine. She did not eat hers. This guy was really friendly. He was really friendly to our kids. He was friendly to us. He was doing his job. Then he came back in the middle of the meal and he asked, how was it? And my wife, and I was sitting there thinking, like, I hope this guy is really nice and won't spit in his food. She said, the, the, the lobster is too salty and I can't eat it. He got concerned. He didn't give us some line about how, you know, how he can't give that to us because this is lobster, financially not feasible, etc., etc. But you know what he did? He said, I'll get you another one, and I'll specifically ask them to cook it you know, a certain way without all the sauce on it. And so, and he did. He did it with patience. He did it with genuine concern. At least it sure as heck looked like it. If he is, man, he is a really good actor. And the meal took a little longer and came back. And I won't say that, I don't think the meal was perfect, but at the end... I was happy. It was actually beautiful. And I gave him a pretty big tip. And I did it gladly. Gladly. Because I was grateful. I'll give you one more example of what wise work should look like. And it's not easy. 
One more example, and I'll go to the last part of my message. I'm a big baseball fan. Sports is a cynical world. It's all about their glory, their championship, their money, right? All these guys are mercenaries. They just go where there's the biggest bucks. There was a, the right fielder of the New York Yankees a number of years ago was a guy named Paul O'Neill. I don't know if you're a baseball fan. Paul O'Neill was not a superstar. He was a good player, but he was not a superstar. Paul O'Neill stayed with the Yankees. He did not seek Max Dollar. The Yankees liked him. He played right field. Like I said, he was a very good player, but not a superstar. He played faithful. He was one of these guys that was quiet, did not complain, was not flashy. He's one of these lunch pail kind of guys. He played baseball like if he was a general contractor, I imagine he would have been a very good general contractor. He played baseball like that, faithfully. He played it with a certain kind of faithful steadiness without getting too high when things would, would go well and without getting too low. And he played that way with a certain rugged faithfulness for years to the Yankees. And on the very last day, on the last day, on his last game when he was going to retire, he was out in, in he was out in right field manning it like he usually does. And then the, you know what the, the fans out in right field in Yankee Stadium started to do? They start, they, a number of them stood up and then they just started going, they started kind of singing, Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill. And they started singing his name. It was like a tribute. A tribute. They gave him this tribute. And it was said that he put his cap down and he stood out there and he wept. That's work. I don't even know if Paul O'Neill is a Christian. That's real work. In a very cynical and greedy world where everyone is about for their own pride, their own money, their own riches, this man did work for his team and for his city. And the people who watched him were blessed by his work. They told him so. I'm blessed by you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was their equivalent of me giving our guy almost a 30% tip. And imagine if people worked like this. Wouldn't the world be so great? And one day there will be a city, God's city, and everyone will work like this. You want to go live in that city? I do. I want to go live in that city. But until then, God says, be wise and delight in work and work like me. Like this. Let me close the message this way. It's hard. How can we actually begin to have this wisdom? I could put the screws to you and just say, be good like Paul O'Neill, trying to inspire you with Paul O'Neill. And I, I wish I could remember the name of my waiter. But you actually need to be inspired and actually redeemed from your own self-interest, self-interest, self-interest all the time. That heart of folly and greed and selfishness and pride, that has to actually come out of you. You can't just be told to try harder. And the curse must be lifted 
And the curse must be pushed back. And there was somebody who came to do that, thankfully. And his name, of course, you know, is, I hope you know, is Jesus. A champion had to come. He who was the worker who made all of creation had to come in to do a work which would push back the curse and would put wise work into our hearts and form a new kind of citizen would contribute to his neighbors and to the city. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 12, this is what it says. The one, uh, verse 12, the law is not of faith. In other words, the standards. I could just tell you, work harder and be wise like Paul knew. But that's a law. The law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If all you have is the law and the standard, you will, you will still have the curse. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the standards of work, of the standards of life, by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Jesus came so that something that was promised to Abraham, and you know what was promised to Abraham? A new humanity that would push back the curse. That would be a new city. A new city where the work would be blessed. And a land would flow with milk and honey, blessing upon blessing. That was what was promised to Abraham. And Jesus took upon the curse. So that blessing can come out in every single way. Not just so that you can have your fire insurance and go to heaven when it's all over. So that you could actually be an agent of the curse of work to be pushed back. Because you won't, idol- you won't make it your idolatry. You will not make it your meaning. You will not just, it just be your greed and your self-interest. You will join God and you will work like God because Christ can push the curse back and you could join Him. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Have a great Monday, everybody, okay? And have the gospel in your heart when you go and work. Let's pray. I don't know we'll stick into the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters. Paul O'Neill. Or when they go out to a restaurant. (laughs) Let us all be like waiters that serve our neighbors like they're really human beings, Lord. Make us like Paul O'Neill. But mostly, Lord, would you remove the curse and the greed and the self-interest from our hearts because of the great redemptive work of Jesus, that he would be our champion and he would bring all the blessings of Abraham into a world that badly needs it, into a city that badly needs it. Make us wise this way in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord now with our